Hello, I'm Hardin Coleman, and you're listening to Caring, Character, and Community, the podcast of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. As Lindsay Barquet and I embark upon the second semester of this podcast, it is impossible not to have interpersonal violence, polarization, and the failure to negotiate peaceful resolution of conflict all at the front of our mind. From shootings in Buffalo, Ivaldi, and elsewhere, to failure to refine bipartisan solutions to economic and social challenges, to the war in the Ukraine, it is hard not to fear for all our children in the world they will inherit. At the same time, it is important to remind ourselves about those people and community efforts that are, are focused on hope. There are a great many people who are working hard to create caring communities in which all children have equal opportunities to flourish. Communities in which there's a focus on character development, not only in terms of what it means for each individual person, but also in terms of what it means to efforts to create environments that embrace and serve everyone well. In this semester, we want to share the story of individuals inside and outside of educational settings who are using their talents and passions to support positive youth development with a particular focus on equity. If you want to follow this podcast and get more information about the participants, you can do so online at ccsr.substack.com. We also want to hear your thoughts about what brings you hope. Please leave your comments online or email me at harden at bu.edu. So, Ava, thank you so much for joining us uh, in this in this podcast. As you know, we're we're trying to create a catalog of people who are engaged in uh, the real hard, difficult work of creating uh, environments in which caring environments in which kids can grow and learn to flourish and 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 find themselves and and develop the type of character that will allow them to be leaders in in their community. And so you. We would love to hear a little bit about your background and the work you're doing, and in particular, want to hear a lot about how you're bridging this complex world uh, between um, uh, civic leadership and working in the, in the city, district leadership, and also engaging in the kind of scholarship, the research practice scholarship that is part of moving the ball forward. So we'd love to hear your story, and, and I will uh, uh, ask Clap questions and maybe challenge a couple of things here and there, you know me, so. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. Um, thank you for inviting me to your um, podcast. Um, I'm Ava Mitchell, and we last worked together when I was Chief of Accountability at Boston Public Schools, and we really appreciate you having, having you on our school committee. Um, I'm going to, in order to answer your question, though, I'm going to go back to the very beginnings of my career. I started teaching right in the onstart of the Massachusetts Education Reform Law of 1993. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And several years into that, my teaching experience, which started off in Boston Public Schools, I decided that we needed a different kind of school environment than we had in the traditional school where I was teaching, middle school at the time, that one that really developed the whole child into a thinker, into the kind of habits of minds and skill sets and working with other people um, that would allow them to be um, future scientists and engineers and teachers and the, the kind of citizens that can really engage with the world and the problems in it. 
So mm-hmm. I was a founding member of the Harbor School, yep. which was an expeditionary learning school, uh, the first um, in the country. And we were a project-based, um, problem-based, um, portfolio-based school. It was really exciting work. Well, one thing you find out early on when you are working with um, middle school in a very different kind of environment, which invites that structure, is that the very requirement of less structure that allows them to really learn and create also means that you have to develop their character um, yeah. alongside that, yeah. right? And when, when you say, so, so people can take that a lot of different ways. So when you say, uh, as you give them more freedom to learn and explore, and two traditional middle schools often have kind of a top-down control, don't let these heathens get wild on us. Um, so when you're saying you're opening up, and then you talk about developing character, you know, what does that mean in, in that context? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I'm not talking about character as a value judgment right now. Mm-hmm, I'm talking mm-hmm. about character as a characteristic. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There's a different kind of character um, that you develop when you are into fierce competition yeah. and you you want to win um, sometimes at all costs, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you have the kind of character that allows you to work with others in order to build something constructive. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a, a, a different kind of um, character when um, when you are um, sort of heavily engaged with something because you're asked to be engaged with a thing. than when your character, the character that's required in your social setting is for you to be more passive. Yeah. You know, sit at a desk, take notes, um, mm-hmm. mind your own business, not yeah. help anybody if they need help. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of what we shape in education, and that's when I really came to realize it, was the kind of um, character that we are encouraging students to become. Um, Mm -hmm. And that has implications for citizenship, um, democracy, as well as the worlds of work for them when they leave Mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. So in a project-based learning environment, what would be an example of um, for the children who really flourish in those environments, who really take full advantage of them? What are some of the uh, behaviors and characteristics they demonstrate that uh, allows them to both be learners and help others learn? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so one, I, I would say the first um, characteristic is um, taking responsibility mm-hmm. for themselves and the group, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we used mm-hmm. to have uh, an expression at the Harbor School. We had a water-based um, kind of theme um, going on. And so we used to say, we are all crew, not passengers. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Well, thank you. So I'm interrupting before. So after the Harbor, you, what did you take from the Harbor? Where'd you go from there? Yeah, yeah. And so I would say that that phrase, we are crew, not passengers, mm-hmm. really characterizes the how my, the rest of my career e- evolved. Mm-hmm. I would say that um, the focus of my career um, is and has been on collective accountability. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. like in the school, we were working on collective accountability, being mm-hmm. crew, um, not yeah. passengers. 
um, what I began to realize is that the classrooms that we had, the school that we were building, they were all, because schools are not closed systems, mm -hmm. there was this inordinate attention, uh, um, mm -hmm. inordinate um, tendency mm -hmm. to become a fractal of just mm -hmm. the larger system. Yeah. And it became more and more apparent to me that mm -hmm. accountability for the kind of children in classrooms that we wanted to mm -hmm. nurture mm -hmm. rested at higher and higher levels. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I left the classroom to be a school administrator and a founder. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that I, I loved about the pilot school experience was that we had an opportunity and, and a challenge every three yeah. to five years of having a school quality review. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was a chance for us to get the kind of feedback we want children to get, which is an external perspective on their yeah. growth and performance. To say that again, that's such a great way to think about school review, not as a gotcha, but as a, a learning opportunity. Is that what I'm hearing? That, that, that you can really reframe the way we do school quality reviews from what's wrong here? What are you doing? Aren't, are, are you in compliance to... How are you learning? How are you being? And how do you know? Is that fair? Um, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, as my career involved, I love that school play review process so much that mm -hmm. um, I ended up um, leaving to work for the state. We mm -hmm. had an office called Educational Quality Accountability and mm -hmm. the function was to perform the kind of school quality reviews that were um, recommended in the education reform law and became yeah, part yeah. of the work mm -hmm, that we did, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we were a pilot school, so we had reviews just like charter schools. And yeah. I was responsible at EQA as the senior reviewer to um, construct and lead charter school reviews and the reviews of underperforming schools. Mm -hmm, Later, mm -hmm. I was in charge of underperforming districts and then when um, the function of school re and district reviews was brought under the Department of Education, I became the Associate Commissioner of Accountability for the state. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we conducted those reviews. Mm -hmm. And the whole theme in um, of the whole theory of change, by the way, yeah. as I brought the accountability and review function from the governor's office the yep. executive branch into the Department of Education mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was to make the reviews feel like less of a gotcha. It wasn't yep. the executive office kind of big brothering schools, yep. but mm -hmm. in a system um, mm -hmm. function of the Department of Education, because that mm -hmm. existed at least under our, our leadership at the time um, to support schools. Mm -hmm. And so it was really around assessing the capacity of schools and districts Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to meet the objectives that they and their communities want. Right. Mm -hmm, and when there's mm -hmm. less capacity, you yeah. need to stop, reflect and reframe, and then make sure that capacity is built. built. And sometimes yeah. you need mm -hmm. an external group to say it because yeah. you just don't necessarily have the social mm -hmm. capital and tools to mm -hmm. say it in your current um, political and social um, context, and sometimes even the awareness, right? Yeah. So how, how come that, what I experience a very compelling uh, perspective, hasn't taken hold 
and hasn't kind of become the our modus operandi or a way or how we drive consistent quality improvement in school districts. What, what, what were the barriers to having that take on a, a deeper life in our world? Yeah, that's a, a really good question, Hardin. And so um, from, from my perspective of having um, worked at um, the different levels in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say that every time there is a tendency to create some kind of policy or standards that mm -hmm. we built an accountability for, Mm -hmm. One of the unintended consequences, because of the way that we have socially organized, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is to have accountability flow downhill. Yep. It's the trickle yep. down theory yep. of accountability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to. And we yep. tried to design it at the state so that it wouldn't. So, for example, yeah. one of the principles in our new accountability assistance framework was that a district could not perform higher or be at a higher level than its lowest performing school. Yeah. Yep. So we're implying that the district is responsible for creating that context because that's true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but there, there is a tendency in um, uh, milieus where there's social hierarchy yeah. for the accountability to, to flow downward. So who's the most accountable right yeah. now? Education fails. It is the student because they have to yeah. live with yeah. the consequences yeah. of yeah. that failure. Yeah. Whether they have their responsibility or not, because they couldn't learn more than they were taught. They couldn't grow more than the yep. environment nurtured yep. them to grow. But yet they're dealing with a hundred percent of the accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's teacher accountability and teachers yeah. feel it. Sometimes they're feeling all of the weight of what I would call additive accountability measures that are not yeah. helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cumulative measures that say, this is what we are going to, we, we want to produce. <laughs> now, we don't want so, you to do all these little things. You're suggesting that the people with the least power <laughs> in the system, the student and the teacher, are the ones who are the most accountable for the outcome. Or their lives. That is correct. Are most influenced by the account of the outcomes of the system. That is that that is exactly what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. The other big problem that um, we've seen that's an unintended consequence of a lot of policy is that accountability becomes a becomes over time mm -hmm. um, to be about compliance. Yeah. Yep. And and you can't be accountable at all mm -hmm. if you are just compliant yes. because that's giving up your responsibility rather mm -hmm. than taking it on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, 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 you're using the word accountability in a different way than a lot of people think about it. And it goes back to your conversation about collective accountability. You're really talking about responsibility, personal responsibility, for the quality of your life and the life around you, of others, and how do you make that better? How do you help everyone flourish, the student, the teacher, the family, the school, and how do you take responsibility for that is core, then the question for the, for the school, for the state, the person is, how will I know I'm being successful? And that's the that's the traditional accountability system, but it's not. Be how do I catch you or find out how you're not doing? It's like 
Are you being collectively responsible? Are you taking are you helping people grow? And if I are, if we are, we'll be able to see this in literacy scores, in engagement scores, in culture scores. Is that a fair interpretation of how you see the world? It, it's exactly um, how, how I see the world. And mm-hmm. so the to me, the only difference between responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. is that account- the word accountability as a reminder that you have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm, this is me. I hope this doesn't seem too far afield. But you talk about collective responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. How is your identity as a African-descended woman influence the priority you give that collective issue, when that's not often the driver in the public conversation. In our more Eurocentric world, we talk about test scores and student scores and school performance, district performance, as if they're independent autonomous groupings and not a collective world. How does your racial gender identity inform you're thinking in that way or the value in which you put, place collective, collective responsibility. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Nobody has asked me that question and it is really mm-hmm. core to everything I do. Mm-hmm. As a black woman, I was nurtured to understand mm-hmm. that it was my job mm-hmm. to take care of the people in my community. Mm-hmm. As a person of color, mm-hmm. our destinies are tied. And because I was afforded some privilege of being mm-hmm. able to get an education. Yep, yep. That that was my duty mm-hmm. to to give back Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not only give back, but it's also my duty to give up. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What do you mean by give up? Well, um, giving, giving back is easy. It's Mm -hmm. just giving a little, you know, sort of tie, if you will. Yeah. Showing up, being there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Um, what, what I, what I gave up is, is the, the idea of having a career that was about me. And, and mm-hmm. me alone. So mm-hmm. my whole career identity is very deep yeah. into this yeah. has to make an impact. And that's, mm-hmm. it's not just my responsibility yeah. to my identity, wow. it's my accountability to it. Yeah. I have that mm-hmm. kind of skin in the mm-hmm. game. And then, you know, as, as the way we're, we're gendered as women, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's our job to make sure everybody eats, mm-hmm. eats mm-hmm. bed. Gets up to yeah. school in the morning. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. is encouraged to go about their day, and mm-hmm. and is also on task. Yeah, that's yeah. that's how I was raised. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, and so, that, so, so it's a that allows you to be open to the system change perspective that it's about caring and it's about supporting others. And it's about collective success, not individual accomplishment, which, which the, 
large parts of our world would review you really well. You know, we measure how many kids in the district get into Harvard or how many kids in the district uh, end up in, in jail and not, uh, not, we don't have a collective sense of are the, are all our children flourishing? And we're too caught up in the symptoms of outcomes, not this core experience that we want our children, that when children have, we know they flourish. That, that's absolutely right. Um, and from the cultural perspective, when I grew up um, practicing Kwanzaa, that was called, that principle mm -hmm. was called Ujima. Mm -hmm, collective mm -hmm. work and responsibility. And it's both. Mm -hmm. There's the work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the responsibility. Um, but it, it's it's hard in some um, some cultural settings. And when mm -hmm. I say cultural, I'm not just talking about racial ethnic, I'm also talking mm -hmm. about work cultures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Class yep. cultures. Yeah. Yep. To, to hold on that the idea because you know in theory. Everybody wants for our children to be successful and for us to have an equitable environment where, you know, you reap the benefits of what you have have earned, what you've sowed into. Mm -hmm. But then there are these competing commitments to that yep. greater good commitment that stand in the way. Yeah, yeah. And so it's individual orientation instead of community orientation. Mm -hmm. It's the notion of transactional relationships. Yeah instead of transformative um, mm -hmm. relationships mm -hmm. that, that are sustainable and um, regenerative with each other. Yeah. And, Ava, and you, you've, worked, you've worked in schools, you've been classroom, you've been principal, you've been a state in the state, you've come back, you work in the district, you, you, you're engaged in a national research project uh, that, that, that you're driving. And so you have this, you have a perspective that very few of us get. You get to see you. You've touched the system in a lot of ways. It's touched you as well. So, if you, you know, if someone could give you that magic wand, and you said, "Here's where if I push here in this way, that'll drive the system change. That that'll change the system." Where, where would you, where would you put your lever? And to really get reorient the system in a way that truly serves all our children. Yeah, I asked um, that question when I did my dissertation research. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I asked um, 34 Bostonians mm -hmm. that represented different kinds of education actors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what would it take for Boston to achieve career and college readiness for all? Yep, because yep. at the time we had all committed to it, right? It was part mm -hmm. of our, you know, Boston civic agenda, the yep, college yep. career readiness framework. Yep. Um, and the, the synthesis of, of all of this um, sort of boiled down to um, a few challenges that we needed to overcome mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and some solutions that we needed to mm -hmm. reconsider. Mm -hmm. And the, the short version of um, the challenges had to do with us as system actors, not seeing ourselves as co collective mm 
Mm-hmm. And the summary of the findings overall mm-hmm. would, talks about how we could build and a more accountable vision and yep. have the kind of agreements and mm-hmm. understandings that are about shared accountability. Mm-hmm. And this kind of transformative ecosystem wouldn't let accountability roll downhill. Yeah, it put in place the onus of student um, disengagement at the foot mm-hmm. of just the the, the teacher in, in the yep. classroom, yeah, or the parent um, trying mm-hmm. to for the student operating these conditions. It places mm-hmm. it um, throughout um, the mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. You know, in Boston, I, I that's very powerful. This idea that we 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 use they're important measures individual student achievement is an important measure we we always want our children to do well but at a system level it's maybe not the most important variable and in boston what always has struck me is the amount of time we think about the opportunities and outcomes provided through our exam school system um, and the percentage of our kids, the relatively small percentage of our kids who go there, these great educational opportunities. I don't want to, I'm not going to argue that, that the, 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 they're remarkable educational experience that people have had in the exam schools that they, they honor very well. But at the same time, we know that 30% of our eighth graders aren't prepared to finish our high school. And We've known that for um, the, the, the Pegasus study was 10 years old now. And we've known that for a long time. And we've never taken collective responsibility for that data. We spent a lot of collective responsibility for the exam schools, what we like about it, don't like about it. But not, and that seemed to me, am I, am I missing that your point is that if we really were going to take responsibility of the whole system, that 30% of the failing eighth graders would be our would be in our thoughts every day, each and every day, and we have a plan. If we took collective responsibility, that am I making that up? Or that's absolutely right, uh, but mm-hmm. we don't because we have competing yeah. commitments, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. part of that is, um, and the reason why we have competing commitments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is because we have some big assumptions that we have to get beyond. Um, one assumption is um, the assumption of um, social has to do with social stratification, social mm-hmm. closure, mm-hmm. ideas about caste and race, yep. ideas about yep. caste and um, your and your intergenerational background. Yeah, um, yeah, regardless yep. of race, right? Yeah, yeah, um, can be very class embedded, and because mm-hmm. of those assumptions, then there is a competing commitment to making sure that all schools have the same inputs. Yeah, yep. That adult outputs meet this level for all Mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have the same inputs and outputs, how in the world are we gonna get to the same outcomes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what happens when the traditional notions of inputs cannot all come from the school mm-hmm. and they can they can then how do we make sure that those who have least in their homes neighborhoods and communities have the most 
in their school. You can't have collective accountability without equity. Can you say that again? Uh, just please say that again. <laughs> <laughs> by, by nature, it's just not equitable. That's the whole idea of, of, of collective um, mm -hmm. responsibility is to mm -hmm. ensuring that, that equitable standpoint. Mm -hmm. So anyway, as you move on from the district and uh, take on, again, moving into more of an, a national organization around career and college readiness, you know, what are the things that you are most pleased about what you've accomplished at, at, while you, in your time in Boston? And what are your aspirations for the next step? Where, where do you want to make, where will you want to make your next big touch? Well, that's a, a, a big and deep question. Yeah. <laughs> you can pass and say, come back to me in a little bit and ask that again or ask that in a different way. So while you think about, while you think about that, let me ask you a, a, more, a, a slightly different question. Um, as you think about, you know, and I'm sure there are a lot of uh, uh, young educators who are coming into a field who look to you for models and leadership. And if you had something from your experience now to say, if knowing what I know now, this is a this is how I would change the way I approach my work. Well, one thing I didn't realize when I entered into education was that education is a it interacts with the um, political system mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. more than I ever understood. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize I was going into the business of um, working with um, people in power to get what we need for children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. once I accepted that as a responsibility, that I could really engage to make system change. I really mm -hmm. didn't want to. Yeah. Wanted yep. to just focus on the teaching and learning. But yep. in order to focus on that, there were some obstacles that we um, would have to overcome, which means mm -hmm. that have to understand, you know, that territory. Yeah. Uh, the other piece that I came into um, really later as the mm -hmm. teacher and parent of yep young people I educated since birth mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. was that not only are we interacting with the political system, but they would have to interact with the economic system. And mm -hmm. if education didn't prepare them for both, yeah. then they wouldn't be able to succeed. And so um, what I am committed to is um, something that I learned and we built together I'm mm -hmm. I only paused because there was no way I could personally take credit for anything that has had any kind of impact mm -hmm. because it, mm -hmm. it was the collective impact. Collective. Yep. 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 Right. So, yep. but we have started to um, build together is a foundational um, understanding and a set of beginning practices mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. allow us to begin the work of collective accountability for children 
from pre-K all the way to career, Mm -hmm. what we're, which is what we're responsible for, right? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But um, what we have not yet done is to apply the science of having those Mm -hmm. different kinds of actors, political, philanthropic, um, employers, industry, social mm-hmm. social services interact in a way and parents and communities yeah. interact in a way that produce those outcomes mm-hmm. so you're a network science um, improvement communities guide mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you you understand what i'm talking about easier said than done but easier definitely done. possible but i i have a i have a perception that i would love your feedback on and that my concern, particularly in urban settings. So when you go to a highly successful independent school or a highly successful public school district when defined success as most of their kids are progressing through the system and finding meaningful places in the world, um, some measured by their high college uh, completion, others measured by the fact that they there's a seamless adjustment to the world of work and the, and the majority of their kids get there and, and people are celebrating that and choosing to live there for that reason. And so there's a lot of um, public affirmation of the quality of their school district as a whole, the quality of their teachers as a whole, with, with, and then look at particular problems that need to be solved within that system. When I come into, flip into urban areas, there's a lot of power in being negative about the system. And by being negative, the more you can look at what's wrong and articulate what's wrong, the wiser your your thought to be. And that those who <laughs> and those who are saying, no, we're really doing well. We get told, oh, you're missing the boat. You don't understand. And that, to me, prevents this collective system that you're talking about to evolve. Because who wants to commit their body, soul, heart, mind and identify with a failing system? If everyone's telling you the system has failed, why should I take collective responsibility? When from your suggestion, until we take collective responsibility, we will have a failing system. Am I, is that, what do you think about that? Why don't you give me some feedback? Am I being too um, harsh, too skeptical, too um, dismissive, or is there some truth to that? I think that is the paradox, right? And I also agree that um, sometimes the larger or more complex the system, the more there is a tendency to abandon responsibility Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And resort to instead of being a constructive player mm-hmm. to take the position of I've got to just destroy and be a mm-hmm. destruct, deconstruct, deconstruct, deconstruct yeah. what exists yeah. as opposed to construct um, what, yeah. what needs to exist. And that's what people do when they feel that they are powerless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the lower one self efficacy, collective self efficacy the more likely you are to, to work on deconstruction of the system or finding your place in the system 
that you can do what you, you can control and keep everything away and protect your peace. Yeah, that's, that's a really good summary of how I see it. Mm -hmm. okay. So I'll go back to, um, I want to thank you for your time. Also, I want to thank you for your service, uh, the work that you've done and will continue to do for children and the model you provide for so many people who are trying to figure out ways to engage in these demanding situations with grace, sensitivity, passion, and persistence all of which you've demonstrated in your career. So before I let you go, I'm wondering if you could share with us three things either you read or podcast you've listened to, a book or a movie or a documentary that you think uh, really kind of capture some of the issues facing us that you think uh, help, help point a way forward. Okay, well, because I am finishing up my dissertation mm -hmm. right now as we speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and Dr. Coleman, thank you for the constant reminder and the push on yeah. there. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to watch any movies or read any books just for fun <laughs> lately. Um, but in the scholarship, what um, there, there are definitely a few books that um, come to mind. Um, one is um, the the uh, Stone, um, Hennig, Jones, and Piranuzzi's book on building civic capacity. Um, mm -hmm. They talk about the politics of reforming urban schools and how, more, how much more difficult it is for the civic community to agree about how to change the social infrastructure it's mm -hmm. much easier to generate agreement about how to build the city environment, how to build a physical mm -hmm. infrastructure, yeah. but it's a social yeah. infrastructure that, that becomes the challenge. Mm -hmm. um, another, which is um, by Hennigan and, and Rich, is a book called Mayors in the Middle. Mm. And yeah, you you yeah. understand yeah. that perfectly. Yeah, I hear, I hear it. I, I, I have we said to me, well, yeah, yes. <laughs> Exactly. And uh, mayors actually do make a, a big impact. Um, mm -hmm. Long um, Shen and um, um, Rutledge and an act, uh, 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 another author whose name I can't pronounce um, wrote a book called um, The Education Mayor Approving America's mm -hmm. Schools and chartered what mayors um, do when they give, build capacity to support um, the mm -hmm. school system. And it's this incredible tension of needing to put the right pressure points on the school mm -hmm. system for improvement while mm -hmm. building a great deal of public confidence behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it, you know, that, you know, I, I think going back to the previous kind of, you know, finding ways, you know, for example, I would un, uh, argue that under Mayor Menino, um, he was masterful at building public confidence in what we were trying to do, warts and all, right? I mean, there was, no one was perfect, but you never had this sense of, uh, you know, he was able to articulate potential and product or model it in a way that, you know, you knew that if you brought all negativity to his table, you wouldn't be there long. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so you had to say, well, what, what are we going to do to do well? And, and the private institutions joined step up so that they, through him, 
so they could provide their resources to help drive change in the system. And that really is a great, he was a great example of a mayor who uh, used the, the, um, the well, it's called the power of his pulpit to um, um, keep us moving forward and keep our sense of moving forward, even, even though he did not ignore the problem. And I know Boston's missing that. I think a lot of cities are missing that. And so that, that allows for other things to come forward. Well, Ava, thank you so much for your time. And again, for all that you do for you know, our children here in Boston and, 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 and for children nationally. So I really appreciate working with you and knowing you and look forward to seeing what you get done next, collectively. Thank you so much, Dr. Coleman. You know, you're one of my models, so I appreciate you very much. Great, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to Caring, Character, and Community, the podcast of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. The development of this podcast has made possible the generous support from the BU's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development and a grant from the Kern Family Foundation. Thanks also to Lizzie Barquet for her editorial and production work on this podcast. The music you're hearing is Bluesy Vise by Doug Maxwell, produced by Media Right Productions. I'm Hardin Coleman, and thank you so much for listening.